lead up to Easter, I read the story of a Canadian whose name was Nelson. And he couldn't put his faith in God because for him, if God is loving, then how in the world can there be a hell? If God is loving, how could God define how Nelson should live? And I continue to read. As a pastor, I came across the story of a young woman in Iraq named Nadia. Iraq is one of the nations in the world that has this, the, the first, you know, the depths of Christianity run deep. But one day ISIS came into her village and she was taken as a slave. And for a period of time, which is far longer than anyone should have to endure, was raped almost on a daily basis. And they asked her, how did she not lose her faith in the midst of such suffering? And she said these words, I trust that God is just, that vengeance is his, saith the Lord, that nothing escapes his gaze. You know, it is interesting how humanity always tries to redefine God on the basis of our perspective. And if you listen closely to the crucifixion story that we heard just moments ago, this is a familiar criticism of Christ. People passed by and yelled, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. And chief priests and scribes and elders said, he saved others. Why don't you save yourself? Even the criminals who were guilty around him taunted him with these very same words. Because here's what's true. God for us, God loving us, often looks different than our dreams and sometimes even our desires. And when God for us looks different than what we desire, we drift, we rebel, we chart our own path rather than trust that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. You know, I once heard a fellow minister describe our drifting, our wandering, our charting our own path, our sin. I once heard John Piper describe it this way. That sin is the glory of God not honored. It is the holiness of God not reverenced. It is the greatness of God not admired. It is the power of God not praised. The truth of God not sought. The wisdom of God not esteemed. The beauty of God not treasured. The goodness of God not savored. The faithfulness of God not trusted. The promises of God not believed. The commandments of God not obeyed. The justice of God not respected. The wrath of God no longer feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, and the person of God not loved. We shift God for self. We shift Jesus saving us for us trying to save ourselves. And every time we do, instead of God, we create individuals and families and cultures where the glory of self is honored. The beliefs of self are reverenced. The greatness of self is admired. The power of self is praised. The truth of self is ultimate. The wisdom of self is esteemed. The beauty of self is treasured. The goodness of self is savored. The feelings of self are trusted. 
The promises of self believed, the commandments of self they are obeyed, the justice of self respected, the wrath of self is feared, and the grace then of self is diminished, where the presence of self is prized, and the person then of self is worshipped. And this is the world in which you and I find ourselves in. And sadly, it is not only out there, it is fully in here. Where we substitute self for God, we are left of different versions of the same broken story of blame and ultimately self-righteousness. You know, today on Good Friday, there are three perspectives as we look at the cross. There are three types of people, whether you are here or whether you are at home, there are three types of people. One is there are those like this cross behind me that you can see it like you can see a cross on a steeple, like you can see a cross maybe on a t-shirt or on around somebody's neck as a piece of jewelry. It isn't that if I showed you this, you didn't know, you don't know what it is. So you can see it, but you don't, it's not the revelation of what it is, is not awakened in your heart. You see it as a symbol. You see it as religion. You see it as tradition. There are some of you who've grown up in church and you've seen this so much, but you've never really had a revelation for your own heart of what this means for you, for us. That's just like the people who you saw yelling at Jesus in the very first story, saying to him, come down, if if you're the son of God, they could see, but they didn't see. There are others, again, whether you're here or at home, Where the cross has come alive, it's no longer dim, but you had a revelation that I am a sinner and the gospel is not about making good people better, but dead people alive. And there's, I am dead in my trespasses. I'm dead in my sins. I can't save myself. I have to fully trust the work of Christ exclusively, not plus this, plus that, exclusively, plus nothing. It is this cross plus nothing that equals salvation. Like in the first story, we saw one criminal turn to Jesus and just say, remember me. In other words, I am putting my faith and trust that I am guilty of an earthly sin, but I can see that you are not guilty. So would you remember me? And Jesus says to him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. One of the next converts that we see at the the story of the cross is a Roman soldier who, who there is full of power and authority, yet he sees true power and authority and love in a way that he has never seen. And he sees crosses every single day, but he saw this one differently and he had a revelation and that revelation caused him to bow his knee not puff his chest but now as followers of Jesus there's another way that the cross can appear in our lives which is over time it can become there but very very small and in particular the last 13 months this is the challenge for followers of Jesus Over time, it can come very, very small in proportion to other things. We can be offended at truth, and it makes the cross small. We can be wounded from other Christians or the church, and the cross can become small. We can be caught on various opinions, philosophies, and all these different things that are of importance, but not ultimate importance. In other words, when we talk about Christians, the centerpiece of Christianity is the woundedness of Christians or the wounding of leaders, not the cross. The cross becomes small, and I'm not diminishing either one of those things. But when the cross cross is diminished and those other things are magnified, darkness is present. 
And so Good Friday, as we look at the cross, whether you see it but don't see it yet fully, whether you see it fully or whether it's gotten small, Jesus calls us to reflect on death, two types of specific death today. The first, of course, is the death of Jesus, which means that you and I can stop trying to save ourselves. How many of you know that God for us can get real sloppy real quick? Mistakenly, we can think that God is on our side, sees things our way, votes how we would vote, defines sin how we would define it. But how many of you know that God defines who he is? We don't redefine who God is. And today, we as followers of Jesus need to look fresh at the work of Christ on the cross and understand it's not length and time plus cross equals salvation. It is not depth of what I feel plus cross equals salvation. It is the cross plus nothing equals salvation. That he died the death that I deserve in order for you and I to live the life that we can't earn. Our only hope is to grab onto the rope of salvation. That's it. Nothing inside of us is worthy. So we need to look and die to self-salvation. Die to, well, you need to be saved, not necessarily me. You're a bad person. Remember, the gospel isn't rooted only in good and bad. It speaks to that, yes, but it's ultimately first about dead to life. Then it talks about good and evil. See, here's what's true of all of us, and I pray this touches your heart. We're guilty. Just like you and I standing before a judge. It's not like we're standing before the God of heaven and we're innocent. Every single one is, of us is guilty of exchanging God for self. Every single one of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short or transgressed or trespassed. Every one of us is guilty. And if God doesn't convict us, he's not God. He's not just. He's not good. One element of Nadia's story that I told at the beginning that I left out is this. The one who bought Nadia and the one who harmed Nadia was the local judge in her city. The one who should have protected her. He didn't. You see, that judge is unjust. And here's what I want you to know, which is what makes today good and heavy. God is just. He is not an unjust God, which means we're guilty. God never condones or excuses sin. That would not be love. Yet Jesus laid down his life, received the death that we deserve to give us the life that we could never earn. Corinthians says this, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul also says to the church in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on anyone who calls on him. For everyone, whether here or at home or anywhere, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The guilty can become innocent, not because we're not guilty, 
but because of the work of the cross plus nothing. And so today you can stop trying to be your own savior. And you can look at the cross and have a revelation and you can actually embrace fully how Jesus died for you. But in closing and with brevity, today is a day that we have to stop looking and blaming everything out there and look in here. Because we as the church, especially as followers of Christ, Jesus did not only die for us, but he called us to die to ourselves. And there are some of us who care more maybe about rights than we do righteousness. That we care more about critiquing everybody and everything else rather than being transformed to be more like Jesus in here. One of the issues that we have is that there are Christians like you and me who are saved by grace but not dead to flesh. And it creates a mess and a mark on his name. It's what Pastor Caleb was leading us in repentance around. Jesus said these words in Luke 9, 23, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will, fa- will save it. Galatians 5.24 Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And so today, yes, we must look at the cross and see what Jesus did to grant us such a glorious salvation. But church, we also need to look at the cross And the words of the man on the cross who said, if we want to live life the way he intended, that together we need to learn how to die to ourselves so that we can truly live to him. As Leslie Newbiggin said, it is a terrible misunderstanding of the gospel to think that it offers us salvation while relieving us of the responsibility for the life of the world, for the sin and sorrow and pain with which our human life and that of our fellow men and women are so deeply interwoven. Church, we need the fullness and the full power of the cross to set us free from the penalty of sin, but also to continue to set us free from the power of sin. So together would you stand, and I'm going to be my honor to lead us in prayer. Even if you're at home, you can stand. But it would be my honor to lead you in prayer. Together, let's pray quietly under our masks, full volume at home. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me just the way I am, yet loving me enough not to leave me the way I am. So I confess I am a sinner. I am guilty. And I receive forgiveness, grace, and freedom. Teach me to die to myself so that I can live in Christ. Amen. As we close our Good Friday service together, let's sing about the wonderful cross.